Welcome. duty to protect America and its citizens, the United States will withdraw from the Paris Climate Accord. And with that, President Trump has moved forward on a signature campaign pledge to pull the United States out of the agreement that 195 countries signed on to in 2016. To explain what this means for the U.S., the world, and the global climate change agenda is Sarah Ladislaw, head of our Energy and National Security Program at CSIS. So the Paris Accord is an agreement um, that was signed by 190-plus countries, um, most, you know, every country around the world, that is under the auspices of something called the UN Framework Convention on uh, Climate Change. And that's a treaty that was signed in the early 1990s and uh, where the the world came together and said, okay, we are going to do something to reduce emissions uh, so that we can stabilize the Earth's climate uh, at, a, at a safe level. And so other famous agreements under this, um, uh, this UNFCCC are things like the Kyoto Protocol. Uh, that's the last agreement that the U.S. negotiated and then uh, failed to join because of a change in administration. Um, and that one was, uh, uh, was sort of faulted because um, it had sort of developing countries not having any obligation to reduce emissions and developed countries having all of the obligation to reduce emissions. And that was seen as un fair um, by a lot of people within the United States, which is why um, the U.S. didn't uh, ultimately sign on to that Kyoto Protocol. The Paris Accord was different. It was basically an agreement that said everyone's going to try their hardest, but everybody's going to be involved. All countries of the world have to commit something. Uh, and so the agreement to try hard is at the core of what the Paris Climate Accord is about. And all of the details about how you meet your target and what your target is are kind of outside but, but attached to that agreement. So the Paris Accord is basically a framework under which the global community was supposed to work together to try and figure out how to reduce emissions, to adapt to a changing climate, to drive technological in, uh, innovation, and to make sure that financing for all of these activities didn't just all go to developed economies but also went to developing economies, particularly the ones like small island nations that with sea level rise projections will probably be underwater and for whom this is an existential threat. What's, what's interesting to me about this is that the U.S. has pulled out of a, uh, the accord, an accord that was non-binding. So, so what does that mean? Yeah, so they, um, the, there are no uh, punishments within the accord. So if you don't meet your target, the only punishment that's in there or the only recourse that's in the agreement is for you to be analyzed by your peers, uh, other people around the, the world, and basically them try to help you figure out how to do better. So it's kind of a peer pressure, peer mentoring uh, kind of situation. So there was a lot of people who were sort of arguing with the administration to say, you don't need to pull out. There's no consequences for not meeting your target. So it really doesn't matter. Just maintain your seat at the table so you can be part of, you know, part of the negotiations, um, but the administration thought that they really needed to pull out because they made a campaign issue out of it. They wanted to get every, you know, the United States out of any deal that was a quote-unquote bad deal for the United States. 
Um, but they really were sort of, you know, made a decision about pulling out of an agreement for which their noncompliance would have had no real tangible um, um, uh, negative. So with the rest of the 190 so countries, uh, do you expect them to continue? And if they do continue, is it can it still be effective without the U.S.? So there's there's a couple questions, right? So one of the big things about the Paris Climate Accord is that even with everybody that had pledged, and you include the United States in it, right, it still wasn't enough uh, to reach uh, the sort of the the level of emissions reduction that everybody agrees is needed to to do the job on on stabilizing the Earth's climate, and so. So there's two ways of thinking about this. One, can the political agreement, can the framework itself hold together and can people continue to reduce emissions? And I think the answer is yes. I think some people will have as hard a time as they were going to have before in meeting their targets and some people will exceed their targets. And some people may not try very hard, um, but but that's you know kind of what the lay of the land was before. Um, will we be? Will it, the ultimate emissions reduction that comes from the agreement be harmed if the United States is not actually reducing its own emissions? Absolutely, and it will be very hard for the global community to make up the delta of what was expected in the U.S. Uh, in terms of emissions reductions. I think the only difficulty there is, you know, whether or not the U.S continues to reduce emissions is still an open question. Um, you saw in response to the agreement, number of very large states um, and, and multiple cities within the United States, huge corporations just saying, no, we're going to continue and actually redouble our efforts to reduce emissions. So, so in terms of actually, you know, reducing emissions, which is, you know, part of the core of what this agreement is, I think it's, you know, I think we can't really consider the U.S. in its entirety out because I think there's a lot of elements within the United States and entities within the United States that are going to continue to reduce emissions. Um, so, so it is a very big test, though, for the Global Climate Accord. I think everybody was wondering if the U.S. pulled out, would everybody sort of walk away? Certainly, the early indications are that nobody is thinking about walking away uh, just because the U.S. Uh, uh, has left. But I think over time, if the U.S. isn't participating or if, uh, or if other people start to not participate because the U.S. isn't participating, then maybe it could have a, a bit of a damaging effect. I think the real damage here is that you know, what the world needed is a, a U.S. that was actually going to double down on its own efforts and um, actually show additional leadership in being more ambition ambitious, and that is probably not going to happen at this point. Yeah, I want to pick up on that global leadership uh, question in a second, but to go back to the the industry uh, idea. We had Jim Immelt, the, the head of GE, tweeting out after uh, the announcement was made that uh, industry must now lead and not depend on government. Um, and it's a weird question because we're usually talking in this podcast about, you know, what can U.S. government do? Um, but I guess the question is, what can everyone or all the other people who want to move forward uh, on the climate change agenda outside of government in the U.S. do? And can they be effective without the U.S. government? Yeah, I think, you know, there's um, there's a sense of irony out there right now that a lot of the companies that for years and years have said, you know, doing something to reduce emissions is fine, but it's expensive, or we need the government to tell us, you know, and, and set the regulations under which we do these sorts of activities, basically came out yesterday and said, 
no, we think that a lower carbon future is an inevitability and we, you know, will continue to move in that direction because we think it's good for business and good for the planet. I think it's always a question of degree, though, because, you know, you've got some countries or companies for whom, you know, a lot of their business model is predicated on people moving away from, you know, things that emit uh, uh, greenhouse gases, you know, so Elon Musk, you know, has a whole business model that is is predicated on a low-carbon future uh, in part. And so it's not terribly surprising um, for someone like that to take this position. What is a little more surprising is, you know, for very large oil and gas companies, um, all of whom even Exxon sort of came out and said, we really think we should stay in the Paris Climate Agreement. We think that this is something we should be, you know, engaged in. I, you know, I think that there is this element there that says, well, wait a minute, there there is a, set, a sense of inevitability here and, and industry doesn't want to walk away. Part of the reason for this is they don't want a patchwork of, you know, uh, a, a large number of countries around the world moving in this direction, and the United States sort of moving in the opposite direction because it's a it's a big market for them. The other thing that I think is really important is doing anything about climate change is going to re- require a huge amount of innovation. And while a lot of that innovation happens in uh, in the private sector, the U.S. contributes a huge amount of money to R and D uh, through the federal government through the national lab system that really does help in a leadership role in uh, in driving innovation that we're going to need to be able to make this transition. And so to not have a government leadership role there will really put pressure on industry to sort of step up in funding and, and in business innovation to, to drive this kind of change. Um, so they, they've signaled their willingness to sort of keep at uh, at this sort of you know transition to a lower carbon future, but it, it is hard uh, to make up for what the the sort of you know the momentum that comes from having a government uh, at a federal level sort of pushing in in this direction as well. Who steps in here? Does is it China? Is it the rest of the country moves forward? Um, and if they do, I mean, what does that say about the U.S. as as a leader generally? What's really interesting is that you've already seen um, China and the European Union and even India to a certain extent say that they are willing to lead on this issue, that they recognize that they're all very large economies, current and future source of emissions reduction or, excuse me, emissions. Um, and, and therefore, they are going to kind of hold the line as, as best they can. I, I think that it's really important um, to note that for a lot of people, you know, pulling out of the Paris Climate Accord has been a symbol of um, the U.S. not wanting to fulfill a kind of leadership style that the Obama administration was trying to bring about, which wasn't a leading from behind, you know, necessarily a, a kind of system, but one in which you really attacked long-term problems that were issues of global good, and and you dedicated yourself to, to building coalitions around those things. And and for a lot of people, this has sort of signaled that the U.S. is not nearly as interested in doing those sorts of things where it's not a zero-sum game. It's not just a win for the U.S., but it's a win for lots of countries, and you have to sort of convince everybody to do something that doesn't, on its face, seem inherently in their interest, um, these sort of collective good problems. And I think that that's 
that is that's a signal to a lot of other countries that if they want to go after those sorts of things and have those broad coalitions, they may need to create and foster them themselves for a while. And I think that that's an important inflection point in uh, in the the role of of the United States uh, globally. And thanks to Sarah Ladislaw for joining us this week. That's it for me. If you want to get in touch about the show, please email cquin at csis.org or find me on Twitter. As always, thanks for listening.